What a great song to lead us into our sermon this morning. We're in the Song of Songs and we're in Song of Songs chapter 2 if you want to turn there. And whilst you're turning to Song of Songs chapter 2, let me ask you a question if you're a Christian this morning. If you're a Christian this morning, you know you're saved, but do you know you're special? If you're a Christian this morning, you know that God has chosen you, but do you know that he cherishes you? If you're a Christian this morning, you know you've been redeemed, but do you know that Jesus relishes to spend time with you? If you're a Christian this morning, you know that God loves you, but do you believe he likes you? I wonder if some of us are struggling with this series in the Song of Songs because the language and the imagery is too much. We have a good gospel, but not a great gospel. We have a good saviour, but not a great saviour. Now, last week we saw that one of the barriers to our relationship with God is the barrier of self-image, of self-worth. That's what we saw in Song of Songs chapter 1. That is, we don't think that God can look on us. But what we saw last week was, was through the imputed righteousness of Christ. So through what Jesus has done in his life and death, in him giving that to us, us being clothed in his righteousness, we are now loved. God looks at us and loves to look at us. We are beautiful to him. We are lovely because we have been loved. That is what transforms us. And so that barrier, hopefully last week, was taken away. But then I think as Christians, there is a second barrier. There is a barrier in our relationship with God whereby we hide from true intimacy with God. We hide from true intimacy with God. Let me show you what I mean by reading the first two verses of Song chapter 2. Listen to Song of Songs chapter 2 verses 1 to 2. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. Like a lily among thorns is my darling among the young women. Now what is going on there? Now this is a continuation of the conversation in chapter 1. There's a flow from chapter 1 to chapter 2 and she's making a bold statement about her self-image and her worth. She's saying in verse 1, I am a rose, I am a lily. Now straight away we go Valentine's Day, Waitrose flowers, we go wow what a view she has of herself. She is a rose, a lily. But you are reading the text from the eyes of a 21st century Welsh person. And actually, 2,000 years ago, 2,000 miles away, in a very different land, the rose and the lily there actually were very common. They were the ones that were just out in the plains. Um, they were the flowers that I guess today we would equate more with a daffodil. It's just everywhere. That's what it was. And so really what she's saying, as, as one commentator puts it, is this. I'm pretty, pretty common. That's what she's saying. I'm pretty, pretty common. And really lots of Christians do this. Um, we will say something like this. I am loved because Jesus loves the church. I'm loved because Jesus loves the church. So many Christians are happy to declare, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But some Christians are weary to declare so confidently Galatians 2.20 that says this, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We want to see ourselves as the common lily. 
So whilst we understand the imputed righteousness of Christ, whilst we understand that now God can look at us, we're saved but not special. We're redeemed but he doesn't relish us. There's a, there's a limit. There's a, there's a ceiling. And the implication of this barrier in the life of the Christian, as we'll see in Song of Songs 2, is the implication of hiding. That is, that we hide from God. We don't go as deeply in our relationship with God as we have been invited. I think many of us see our relationship with God in the wrong way. We have the wrong analogies in our mind. So for some of us, we see um, Jesus and what he's done for us like a doctor or a life-saving surgeon. You've gone in, you were as good as dead, and the surgeon has come and he has saved your life. And you are super thankful to the surgeon. But the surgeon doesn't want to see you for another 12 months or unless something goes wrong again. And many of us respond to Jesus like that. He saved me, wonderful. Oh, Jesus is so wonderful. But he doesn't want to see me for another 12 months or unless there's a problem. Or like an AA man, an RAC man, a green flag man, who comes and rescues you from the side of the road and gets you home, but doesn't want to come in and have a cup of tea and look at photos of your grandkids. He saved you, but he's not interested in the day-to-day and the mundane. For some people, actually, from experience of life, you view the fatherhood of God like the parent who loves you and feeds you and is saving money for your education but isn't interested to listen to you. Would rather look at their mobile phone than spend time with you. And this means we don't spend as much time with Jesus as we could. We miss out on the relationship for which he has saved us. Look down to verse 14. Look down to verse 14 of chapter 2. Listen to what's happening. It says this. This is he speaking. He says, my dove, it's a lovely picture of her, my dove in the clefts of the rock, in the hiding places on the mountainside, show me your face. Let me hear your voice. What's happening? She's got something, but she hasn't got it all. And so now she is hiding. She's hiding her face. She's hiding her voice. In effect, for the Christian, we don't want to bother Jesus. We don't want to expect too much from him. There's a lovely Latin phrase. I love this Latin phrase, corum Deo, corum Deo, which means living in the presence or living in the face of God. It's phenomenal. What a concept, corum Deo. We live in the face of God. That great blessing of the Old Testament, let his face shine upon me. It's wonderful, isn't it? Invited all the way through. 2 Corinthians teaches us that in Christ we see the face of God and he wants us to live there. But you know, if we have a low view of the gospel, we miss out, we hide our face. Our relationship comes to one of the surgeon or the barrister who gets you off a guilty verdict but then doesn't want to hang out with you because he's better than you. No, no, we miss out. And so she says, I am a lily, I'm a rose, I'm pretty but I'm pretty common. And look at how he comes back to her. Did you notice? He says, ah, like a lily among thorns is my darling among the young women. He just reframes it. You're a lily. 
you're like a lily amongst thorns. It's such a wonderful way that he hears her. He listens to her. He responds to her. And he tells her how beautiful she is. There's a lovely insight here for relationships, isn't there? I think in earthly relationships, in romantic relationships, in marital relationships, it's always helpful, as he here, to only have eyes for one person. To me, when I look, there's only one lily and everything else is a thorn. And it's exactly the same in how it should be in a relationship. Now, what we want to do today then is to look at, well, okay, how do we have this higher view of our relationship with Jesus? How do we go deeper in our relationship with Jesus? Well, the answer is not to look at us. The answer is not to look at us. Rather, as we saw last week, the answer is to look at him. We are lovely because he is lovely. We are cherished because he has chosen us. We are special because he has saved us. And so actually our beauty, do you remember when we looked at the sun shining on the moon and the moon then reflects the sun of the shine of the sun? The way to know that you are beautiful is to look at Jesus and to see him there. Really what we want to do this morning is look at the one who has loved us and given himself for us. Or to quote the verse properly who has loved me and given himself for me. Let's look at him in verses 3 to 17, for Solomon here is giving us a picture of our great saviour, the Lord Jesus. Have a listen to verses 3 to uh, the end. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. Let him lead me to the banquet hall, and let his banner over me be love. Strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. His left arm is under my head, and his right arm embraces me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Listen, my beloved, look, here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind the wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. My beloved spoke and said to me, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. See, the winter is past, the rains are over and gone, flowers appear on the earth, seasons of singing has come, the cooing of doves is heard in our land. The fig tree forms its early fruit, the blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, come, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. My dove in the clefts of the rock, in the hiding place of the mountainside, show me your face, let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. My beloved is mine and I am his. He browses among the lilies until the day breaks and the shadows flee. Turn my beloved and be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the rugged hills. Three things about Jesus. Number one, Jesus is our protector. Jesus is our protector. Did you see that there in verse 3 and verse 6? Like an apple among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade. And verse 6, we see it down there. His left arm is under my head and his right arm embraces me. He is the protector. 
And what a lovely picture of protection. It is a picture of embracing protection. This is throughout scripture. So for example, the Lord Jesus in the New Testament will refer to himself in pictorial language of a hen, inviting people to come under his wing and to shelter. Or in Zephaniah, um, the God the Father talks about singing over us, delighting in us, quietening us with his voice. Zephaniah 3 verse 17. Throughout scripture we see Jesus our protector and I love the way for example this works out in Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1 is one of my favorite pictures because it is the exalted Christ who is Christ today and it's interesting when you watch the way he protects us and the relationship with us. Um, in Revelation chapter 1 um, John, in the revelation from Christ, is happy to mix what's happening. So, for example, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 13, the Lord Jesus stands among the churches, among the lampstands. Jesus comes and stands with the church. But then in verse 16, you see that Jesus is holding the church in his hand. What's going on? I thought you were standing amongst the churches. Now you're holding the churches in your hand. And then in verse 17, with that very same hand, as John falls on the floor as though dead, he puts his hand on him and says, do not be afraid. It's wonderful, isn't it? One of the things I think some Christians struggle with is um, creating false dichotomies. One of our defences against the invitation to intimacy is to create a false dichotomy. So we will say, oh, well, Jesus loves the church, but you can't say that of the Christian. It's a very interesting false dichotomy. Revelation chapter 1 will have none of it. Scripture completely disagrees with that comment. Revelation chapter 1 says he stands amongst the church, he holds the church, he puts his hand on the individual. Jesus loves the church and therefore, Galatians 2.20, we can say he loves me and gave himself for me. Jesus is our protector. So what does that mean? So it means we should pray for that. Remember the Lord's Prayer? We just prayed it. Protect us from the evil one. Jesus has taught us to pray to him as our protector. Or what about John chapter 10 and verse 28? Jesus says this, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What a lovely intimate picture of the protection we have in Christ. Or Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. If you are a Christian, Jesus has you, you are saved and you are secure. So does that mean if Jesus is our protector, you'll never get sick? No, no, you will get sick. Uh, does that mean if Jesus is my protector, I'll never be persecuted? No, you might be. Uh, does that mean if Jesus is my protector, then I'll never struggle with mental health? No, no, there's a good chance you will. So what does it mean? It means that Jesus will never leave you. You're under his arm, the shadow of his wing. He holds you in his hand. Jesus will always be with you, even in the most difficult times, especially in the most difficult times. And he will keep you eternally. And you know, it's not the people who are with you in the easy times that show their love, but the people who are with you in the difficult times. 
that show their love. I've shared this before and I'll share it once again. As a child, one of my strongest memories of my mother and how I know my mother loves me is that when I had meningitis and I needed to find out, I had to have a lumbar puncture, huge massive needle in the base of my spine. And because my mother was a nurse and she worked in the hospital, um, she came in and she kind of pinned me down. I think my father hid in the other room and wondered what was going down and, and she pinned me down. Now, did she pin me down and let the doctors Put a massive needle in my spine because she was horrible no she pinned me down because she was my mother and she loved me like no other and she was going to make sure i was okay and in exactly the same way the lord is with us how do we know he loves us because even in life's difficulties he is with us he holds us he is our protector but more than that secondly the lord jesus is our provider He's our provider. You see it there in verse 4 and 5. Verse 4, let him lead me to the banqueting hall. And this is what I love. When he provides, do, do you notice this? Let me go to the banqueting hall and let his banner over me be love. Do you know when you have a birthday and you come downstairs and there's banners everywhere? Why are the banners there? Because they want everybody to know it's your birthday. So why is the banner in this banqueting hall? Because he wants everybody to know that he loves her. This is a public display of love. He is celebrating her. He's not ashamed of her. Do you know the Lord Jesus is not ashamed of us? He is happy to call us brothers. And in giving us provision, providing for us, verse 5, he will strengthen us. Strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. Do you know, some of us are faint at the moment. We are struggling. Jesus wants to provide for us. Again, what did we pray in the Lord's Prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. Now, I believe that that on one level is about daily bread. I, I truly believe that. But I think when you read the prayer as a whole and when you look at the New Testament, it's about more than that. Bread in the Bible, manna in the Bible, is a picture of Jesus. So it is give me my daily bread, but more so, as Martin Luther teaches us, it's give me my daily Jesus. For Jesus, John 6 verse 35, is our bread. We need our daily Jesus. You see, the best thing that Jesus can give us is himself. Is himself. That's what the gospel is. Jesus giving himself to us. And you see how radical this is in verse 16. Look down at verse 16. My beloved is mine and I am his. This theme is going to come up a couple of times in Song of Songs. My beloved is mine and I am his. It's mutual belonging. They are one. They are united. They are connected. This is marriage language and this union with Christ is all the way throughout the Bible. You cannot get away from it. From Genesis to Revelation, it's a marital theme. It's all about union. The two become one. Ephesians 5 picks up on that and Paul is clear that it's all about the gospel. But this intimacy and this union that we have, whilst it is equal, I am his and he is mine, it is not symmetrical. <laughs> what do I mean by that? What I mean is, we don't give equally. See, Jesus is the first mover. He is the one who comes to save us. And Jesus is the guarantor. If my relationship with God was based on my love for him, it would be gone. But it's based on his love for me. And he is the provider. 
He is the one who holds me in his hand. So I am united with Christ, but that union is all based on Christ. He has lived the perfect life. He has died the death I deserve. He has risen from the dead victorious, and he has exalted to the right hand of the Father in heaven where he reigns victorious. It's all of him, and he pulls me into him. All that is his is mine. What do I bring to the game? As J.C. Ryle said, the only thing I bring is my sin. That's all I can bring. All we can bring is our need. What a radical gospel it is. Brothers, sisters, friends, can I, can I be clear? Until you get that gospel, how crazy, how radical, how phenomenal it is, you will not move past that outward, exterior, merely intellectual faith. Your faith will always just come to a point and you will stop. And you will hide and you will take your face away. But when you see Jesus, when you see what he's done for you, how amazing the cross is, you will say, oh, Jesus, lover of my soul, come close to me. It's an amazing thing. Jesus has done it all. I find it hard to preach this. It's such a wonderful gospel. Let me tell you the third thing about Jesus this morning. Jesus is our pursuer. Jesus is our Pursuer. We see it here in chapter 2. She is hiding her face, hiding her voice. She is hiding and he comes to find her. She looks away and he tells her to turn her face to him. She stops talking and he asks her to speak. Now you need to understand, we haven't got much time to explore this this morning. There is union and communion in the Christian faith. This is the historic position of the, the church for thousands of years, okay, across the board. We are united with Christ. That's justification by faith. Nothing can change that. Jesus has died, has paid. You are going to heaven. Union with Christ. That is unchanging, unmovable, permanent, secure, like a rock. But there's also communion. Within that union, there is a relationship. There is love. There is backsliding. There are the highs and there are the lows. There is joy. And there is sorrow. There is tears. There are different seasons within the Christian life. We call this communion. And I really would encourage you to explore this. Lots of Christians get confused by this. Uh, let me just give you three recommendations very, very quickly. Um, a good friend of mine, Dr. Errol Davis, has written three small little books um, which can be read by any Christians. The first one talks um, and the second one talks about our union with Christ. What does justification by faith mean? And the third one is on experiencing God, looking at this intimacy. And for some of you, I really would encourage you, you need to go to the EMW website, the Evangelical Movement of Wales, or the Heath Christian Bookshop in Cardiff. Go online and get these books. They'll really help you. Or if you are um, a Stuart Olliot person like many of us, there's a book called Something Must Be Known and Felt, a missing note in today's Christianity. Again, looking historically at how there are affections and emotions and intimacy in the Christian life. Or from a completely different uh, camp, a book I love, I don't agree with everything, but I love more by Simon Ponsonby, an Anglican charismatic from England, how you can have more of the Spirit when you already have everything in Christ. Again, looking through scripture and history and showing how we can have this communion with Christ. I really would encourage you to explore this. Um, it's something amazing uh, to look into.
And look at this pursuing. Look at how Jesus pursues us. It is amazing. Verses 8 to 13. So in verse 8 it says, Listen, my beloved, look, here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. I love this. When we hide from Jesus... He doesn't come to us like an annoyed child who has to come and apologise to a parent. Um, when he comes to us, he doesn't come like a grumpy husband who knows he's done something wrong but doesn't quite understand what he's done wrong and is like, oh, I suppose it's my fault. There's none of that. He comes bounding. He comes leaping. And you notice what's happened. Have a look at verse 9. I've been thinking on this. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. What is that wall? Where did that wall come from? Now, this is poetry. So we're looking not so much for a specific meaning, but a mood. We're looking really for what, what is being communicated in the feel and mood of this passage. So, so he loves her. She loves him, but she's hiding from him, and now he's coming to see her. He's bounded over, and now there's a wall. What's going on? And he's peering through the window, looking at her. What, what's going on? Could it be that she has built a wall? Could it be that over time she has built a wall, and he just doesn't want to come and bulldoze the wall down? There's a lesson in relationships, isn't it? Often there are walls in our relationships. The last thing you want to do is bulldoze that wall down. It's there for a reason. So what does he do? He comes and he peers through. As Christians, we can build walls around our hearts. We can build a wall even to the Lord Jesus. And he doesn't just come and smash it down. What are those walls? And, and I think for some of us in this series, I think it's, it's exposing a wall for some of us, there is a wall, and, and the idea of Jesus as the one who loves us, the lover of our souls, it's, it's, it's building that wall, and, and we're struggling. And I think, let me give you five different walls that there could be. The first wall could be past experience of a husband, of a marriage. So for some of us, actually... Me talking glowingly about marriage and a husband here is really hard. Really, really hard. It can happen with things like the fatherhood of God. Sometimes people can really struggle to call God father because they've had such a horrendous experience of father or no experience of father at all. The same is true of friend. And so there can be pastoral, historic reasons. that actually you've built a wall to protect your heart. And this is just too much. For some of you, the wall is one whereby you've never experienced intimacy with Jesus. And so you just don't believe it's there. And there's a wall. I don't do experience. I don't do intimacy. But this doesn't compute. This doesn't fit in with my Christianity. There's God. He saved me. Thank you. There we are. And there's a wall of, of, of Jesus coming and the wall is there. I think, thirdly, some of us have a wall of theological error. And so we've built a theology, a doctrine of God, which is wrong. And we've misunderstood and misapplied the gospel. And we don't quite understand scripture. And so we've built over the years a wall where we understand union, but we don't understand communion. I think, fourthly, it's possible to have a wall built by sin and shame. 
we've been sinning, habitually sinning perhaps, secretly sinning, and our conscience has been seared. And so we've built a wall because we don't want to be intimate with Jesus because we know what we're doing and we don't want Jesus to see that. And sometimes we can build a wall of sin and shame. And I think the fifth wall is disappointment and doubt. Some of us have been hurt and seemingly hurt by God in that we expected him to do something and he didn't. And that disappointment and that doubt has built a wall. Now, having reflected on this over the weekend and got some advice from, from friends and, and pastors, I think one thing I've realised is we cannot bulldoze down those walls. And so I think I'm going to take longer in the Song of Songs, spend more weeks on it. Help us as a church to pull the wall down. Because actually it's the Lord Jesus that wants to pull down the wall. He's come bounding over. And he's seen the wall and he's peering through. And he's looking and he's speaking to you. And what is he saying? It's amazing, isn't it? Verse 10, this is what he's saying. My beloved spoke to me and said, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. In fact, he repeats it in verse 13. Arise, come, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. If you've built a wall like a gentleman, he is peering, he's not bulldozing, and he's inviting twice, arise, arise, come with me, come with me, my beautiful one, my beautiful one. It is wonderful. Jesus, it seems to me, identifies the wall and helps us to pull it down. Helps us to pull it down. The metaphor changes then, doesn't it? And it says in verse 11, verse 11, see, the winter is past. That's another metaphor, isn't it, in this poetic book. There's a wall, or another way to think of it is there's a winter. There is a winter. Some of us are cold in our relationship with Jesus. We're in winter. We have frozen him out. It's really hard. It's a bit like Narnia, isn't it? Remember Narnia with C.S. Lewis, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe? Always winter, never Christmas. But what happens when Aslan comes and Aslan wins the day? The snow starts to thaw and the spring starts to come. And so what does he say? What does he say? I mean, it's absolutely phenomenal, isn't it? Verse 12 to 13. Flowers. Look, winter is past. The rains are gone and over. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooing of the doves is heard in the land. The fig tree forms its early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Do you see what he's saying? Winter is over. Spring is coming. The summer is coming. It's the season of singing. The wonderful thing is if you are in winter... Spring is coming. Jesus is saying, come. Christians over the years have talked about this in different ways. And one of the ways that they talk about it is this, my heart was strangely warmed. Are you cold this morning? Jesus wants to bring spring. Jesus wants to bring summer. Some of us are in winter. And I trust over the coming weeks and months, you would leave the winter. The wall would be demolished. And you would know the Jesus. Now again, let me just say, Revelation 3, this is how we started the service. Revelation 3 is often quoted evangelistically. Actually, Revelation 3 is written to the church, to Christians. And what does he say in Revelation chapter 3? Lord Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with them, and he with me. There's that mutual indwelling. So let's change the metaphor again. There's the wall, there's the winter, there's the door. Brothers, sisters, don't, don't miss out on this. Some in our midst have decided to ignore church and not to come on until I stop this series. No interest in intimacy with Christ. Want to stay away, don't want to hear it. The last thing they want to know. Don't miss out. The Lord Jesus comes bounding. The Lord Jesus is knocking on the door. He wants to know you and know you deeply. He wants to love you and love you deeply. Don't miss out. It breaks my heart to see Christians. Listen to the words of the Lord Jesus to you, verse 14. Listen to him. My dove is in the clefts of the rock, in the hiding places, the mountainside. He knows where you are. And he says, show me your face. Let me hear your voice. Oh, and, and, and please listen to what he says. For your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. That's what Jesus says. Do you believe that your voice is sweet to Jesus? Do you believe that your face is lovely? We can believe that his face is lovely and his voice is sweet. But to him, your voice is lovely and your voice is sweet. Do not, do not dare lower the gospel and say, oh no, Jesus doesn't think that. How dare you say that of the Lord Jesus Christ? He died for you. He gave himself for you. He will never leave or forsake you. He ushers you under his arms. He holds you in his side. The marks are on his hands, his feet and his side because he loves you. He cares for you. He's preparing a place for you. The Lord Jesus loves you and he wants to know you. Oh, take the wall down. Come into the spring and the summer. Open the door. He wants to come and he wants to eat with you. Homework, homework. Each week I'm trying to encourage you to do something to pursue the Lord, to know him more. This is not intellectual. This is intimacy. So what I want you to do this week, this is what I want you to do. Go off and memorise the most well-known of Psalms, Psalm 23. Memorise it. Memorise Psalm 23 and pray it every day. Pray it from memory. Find a protector. Find the provider. Find the pursuer. Remember the shepherd? who became the good shepherd who came to us to seek and save the lost. Memorise Psalm 23 and read it and pray that it would not just be information, but it would be intimacy. God wants to draw near, draw near to him. We're going to sing now an amazing song that invites us to come and see, see him. Let's sing that together. <laughs> 